key. Instead, he insisted that Nielsen come to him as a servant to a liege. Nielsen was in a very bad temper as he locked the door of his office behind him and strode off down Revel Street with his hat set at an angle and his coattails flared. At the police camp, Mrs. George answered the door. She directed Nielsen with a very sorry aspect into the dining room and then fled before Nielsen could speak any words of politeness, pulling the door so firmly closed behind her that the calico wall gave a shudder and Nielsen had the fleeting sensation of being at sea. The jailer was sitting at the head of the table, where he was making short work of a cold meal composed of jellied meats, various cold puddings of homogenous consistency, and a dense bread of some dark, large, crumbed kind. He held himself very straight as he stacked his fork, and did not offer Nielsen a chair. So, he said, when the door had closed and he had swallowed his mouthful, you told somebody about our agreement. You broke your word. Whom did you tell? What? said Nielsen. Shepherd repeated his question. Nielsen, after a pause, repeated his bewilderment at a slightly higher pitch. Shepherd's expression was cold. Do not lie to me, Mr. Nielsen. Alistair Lauderback is to publish a letter in the Times tomorrow morning lambasting my character. He claims that a percentage of the fortune discovered on Crosby Wells' estate was invested in the Hockettica jailhouse. I do not know how he came upon this information, and I wish to know. At once. Nielsen faltered. How was it possible that Alistair Lauderback knew about his commission? One of the Crown men must have broken his word. Balfour, perhaps. Balfour and Lauderback were close familiars, and Nielsen had never seen Lauderback in the company of any of the rest. But what reason could Balfour have to betray him? Nielsen had never wished him any kind of harm. Could it have been Lerventhal? Perhaps, if the letter was to be published in the paper. But Nielsen could not believe that Lerventhal had broken his word any more than he could believe it of Balfour. He watched Shepherd assemble a forkful of jellied meats, pickled cucumber and hash, and inexplicably, for Nielsen was not at all hungry, his own mouth began to water. Whom did you tell? Shepherd said. Please mark this moment as the end of my patience. I will not ask you again. He put his mouth over his assembled forkful, slid the food off the fork, and chewed. Nielsen did not know how to respond. The truth, of course, was that he had told twelve men, Walter Moody plus the eleven others who had been summoned to the smoking room of the Crown. He could hardly admit to having betrayed Shepherd's secret to twelve men. Ought he to pretend that he had told no one at all? But it was obvious that he had broken his confidence to someone, if Lauderback knew. His mind was racing. I can't think how it might have happened, he said, in desperation. I can't think. Shepherd was busy stacking another mouthful on the back of his fork. Did you go to Lauderback yourself, he said, his eyes fixed intently upon his dinner. Or did you go to another man? who went to Lauderback in his turn. I haven't spoken five words to Lauderback in all my life, Harold Nielsen said with much indignation. Who then? Shepherd looked up, his utensils loose in his hands. Nielsen said nothing. He had begun to perspire. You are keeping a digger's honour, I see. 
Shepard said with disapproval. Well, at least someone has your loyalty, Mr. Nielsen. He turned back to his dinner and did not speak for what Nielsen felt was a very long time. Shepard was dressed in his Sunday suit of black. He had flung his coattails to the sides of his chair so that they would not be creased beneath him while he ate. His high-waisted trousers and collarless vest had a disapproving, funereal look, and his wide cravat, somewhat out of fashion, Nielsen noticed with a touch of condescension, his own cravat was thin and loosely tied following the style of the day, seemed to accent the jailer's aspect of admonishment still further. Even his cold supper was abstemious in its plainness. Nielsen himself had dined upon a half of boiled chicken, served with mashed buttered turnip and a great deal of white sauce. He had drunk half a pitcher of a very nice wine besides. From elsewhere in the house, a clock sounded the quarter hour. Mrs. George moved beyond the flimsy walls, padding from room to room. Shepard remained fixated on his meal. Nielsen waited until Shepard had cleaned his plate of every last crumb, hoping that once his meal was concluded, the jailer might begin to speak. When it became evident that this hope was a false one, he said somewhat feebly, Well, what are you going to do? My first action, Shepard replied, daubing his mouth with a table napkin, will be to relieve you of all duties pertaining to the construction of the jailhouse. I will not be served by a man who breaks his word. The investment will be returned to me, said Nielsen. Not at all, said Shepard. He tossed the table napkin onto his plate. In fact, I consider that a most unreasonable request, given that the work is already well underway. Nielsen worked his mouth. At length he said, I understand. You will not break your digger's code? No. Incredible. I am sorry. Shepard pushed his plate away, becoming brisk. Mr. Lauderback's letter will be published tomorrow in the Times. I have an advance copy here. Nielsen saw that there was an opened letter on the table next to the jailer's plate. He stepped forward, putting out his hand. May I? But Shepard ignored him. The letter, he went on, raising his voice slightly, does not refer to you by name. You should know that I will be writing to the editor myself tonight in order to correct that omission. My response will be published below Mr. Lauderbeck's as a formal reply. Nielsen tried again. May I read it? You may read it tomorrow in the paper, along with every other man in Westland. Shepard uttered the phrase with a dangerous emphasis. All right, Nielsen said. He withdrew his hand. I take your meaning. Shepard paused before adding, Unless, of course, there's something that you'd like to tell me. In a voice of loathsome dejection, Nielsen said, Yes. Yes? Yes, there's something. Poor Harold Nielsen, thinking that he might regain the jailer's trust by means of a second transgression, as though by committing a second disloyalty he might reverse the fact of the first. He had conceded in a panic, for it crushed Nielsen's spirit to be held in low esteem by other men. He could not bear to know that he was disliked, for to him there was no real difference between being disliked and being dislikable. Every injury he sustained was an 